Hey everybody, my name is Mike Lawson and I'm sitting here with Joe Batanz. Hi Joe Batanz. Hello. And we are, or I am, excited to share with you uh, something from the archives that kind of we just recently unearthed. And it's a bunch of episodes of a podcast I used to do many moons ago called What Someone Call Lies. It's one of Joe's favorite shows. Yeah, guys, I did not, literally second before this we started recording, Mike was like, I had, I had this show called What Someone Call Lies. I was like, what are you talking, what? And so uh, I really I'm hate this hear... joke because you stick to it so much that people are going to believe this is true. It's a joke. He actually knows it. He used to listen to it. He would call me regularly and tell me how much he liked it. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking Joe. about. <laughs> so anyway, um, they're really short episodes. Um, I just wrote kind of, well, you'll see. I just wrote these like little short stories about my life kind of uh, in the beginning. They're a little rough. Not so much music and high quality editing. Towards the end, it gets a little bit better. Um, but this is in the early days of podcasting. So a lot of stuff is new. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to release a few of them every week on the Afterthought Media feed while y'all are in quarantine. Uh, we're going to start right now with episode eight because mm -hmm. episodes one through seven are gone forever. Um, if for some reason you're a what someone call lies fan and you happen to have episodes one through seven saved somewhere please reach out to me uh on social media or mike lawson at gmail.com because i would love to get my hands on them okay now for the stories this is the first one i'm going to share with you it's story number eight and it's called puppets it was originally published in 2012 here we go Episode 8, Puppets Some of life's toughest dilemmas can be solved by a person who manipulates an inanimate object in real time to create the illusion of life. Hi, my name's Mike Lawson and I tell what some would call lies. Hey guys, don't forget about the What Someone Call Lies t-shirt giveaway. Thanks to my friends at OOShirts.com, I have an awesome What Someone Call Lies t-shirt that I'm giving away to a randomly drawn iTunes reviewer. It's a bitchin' t-shirt designed by a really amazing artist, me. <laughs> to enter the contest, all you have to do is write me an iTunes review before January 30th, 2012, and that's it. A winner will be picked at random and announced on the January 31st show. Check out the shirt at whatsomewillcalllies.com and then go write a review. I love telling stories. This podcast is, in no particular order, a collection of stories from my life that I retell as accurately as I see fit. Oh my god, I'm so surprised! Has never been the reaction I get when I tell people I'm a homosexual. On the other hand, I don't usually get the I knew you were gay the second I met you reply either. The normal response is usually more like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Closets are way too stuffy for me and I haven't lived in one since I moved out of my parents' house in July of 2000. 
However, every time I start a new job, there's this awkward window of semi-closetness when I'm still kind of filling out my new coworkers and trying to determine who the gay, Muslim, immigrant, abortion haters are. This is a time when my personal stories include very limited details. And believe me, telling weak stories absolutely kills me. About seven years ago, I landed a fun job developing a literacy program for adults and children for a nonprofit organization. It was an incredible job. Well, it was incredible in a way that only a 23-year-old could really enjoy. The office that I shared with a hilarious, compassionate, gentle vegetarian named Joan was actually a converted storage room with a rubber-made folding table down the center and a power strip for our laptops, cramped and small. The funding for our program was equally small. And small, too, was the initial support we received from the local school district and the community. But Joan and I had big hearts and big dreams about what this program could accomplish. We also had a similar work ethic. I can't even count the number of times that we'd leave the office at the end of a 12-hour day and go grab coffee or dinner and then talk about the program and our ideas for another couple of hours. In the beginning, we would occasionally talk about our personal lives, but really, at the time, we were both married to our jobs, so there wasn't a lot of personal life to talk about. For the first few months, we were co-workers that happened to be friends, and after spending 60 hours a week with her, we soon became friends that happened to work together. One night at a restaurant called Native Foods, Joan explained to me that she was single primarily because she was hung up on her ex-boyfriend. After discovering that he had cheated on her, she decided to forgive him and try to work things out. A few months later, she found out that the guy was still cheating on her, or cheating again, whatever, so she dumped him. She knew she'd never be able to trust the guy again, and she knew that she dumped him, but still, she was struggling to move on. In a major coincidence, I was dealing with some issues orbiting around my ex-boyfriend that had cheated on me. I forgave him and I tried to work things out and a few months later I found out that he was still cheating or cheating again, whatever, and I dumped him. I knew I would never marry the guy and I knew that I dumped him, but I was struggling to move on too. I went through this exact same thing, I said to her. Our conversation veered into a discussion about our good friends advising us not to take the cheater back and we still did. We talked about mending friendships and overcoming our masochistic attraction towards what's comfortable, but we avoided pronouns completely. I told her about how I felt unable to vent to friends about the second time I broke up with my ex because I didn't take their advice a few months before. She told me that she was afraid to even tell some of her friends that her ex had cheated again because she dreaded an awful, I told you so. And then we paid the bill and left. We just had an intimate conversation about dating and relationships, and I never explicitly said I was gay. I never told her that the cheater in my story was male. And I don't know why. Joan is one of the most open-minded, loving people I have ever met, and I have never questioned her ability to accept this part of me. It just didn't come out. If you've ever held a secret in for 18 years, you might understand what I went through. 
Even after you've overcome any long-developed feelings of shame, or even if you're in a very non-threatening place, it's still something that's kind of hard to say. A couple of weeks go by. Our work is getting more and more exciting as we start to move from the curriculum development stage and into the fine-tuning stage. We start hiring new instructors to pass the strings onto now that we've successfully gotten the kite off the ground, and a program that was born in a poorly lit, stuffy, converted storage room started to really develop into something great. With a solid base built, we started expanding the program and offering our services at different schools and locations in the community. And the expansion meant less time in the office and more time in the field. Joan and I started seeing less and less of one another. In the very little off time that I had, I wrote theater reviews and covered city politics for a local weekly. I had been assigned to write a feature on this non-traditional, kind of creepy theater group that was opening a show in town about a 1950s housewife with plans to destroy the world using a monster she created with radioactive sludge. Now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds even more ridiculous than when I was writing about it. I met with the writer slash director of the show for an interview, a guy named Sean. He was really cute. After the story was published, Sean emailed me with compliments on the story. Uh, our emails went back and forth, and eventually he asked me if I'd like to go out to dinner. I said yes. Don't tell my editor. <laughs> we made arrangements. I'd meet him at his house in Long Beach, and we'd go to dinner at that delicious crepe place on 2nd Street. When I got to his house, he showed me around. He had an endearing collection of nerdy action figures, and he also had many puppets. Not just Jim Henson-looking things, he had those too, but monsters and scary little puppets. He made these things, and he made a lot of puppets for the theater company, and he considered himself to be a professional puppeteer. Dinner was great. I think I spent a lot of time talking about the literacy program I'd been working on, and he talked a lot about his work with the theater group. The only problem was that I kept expecting him to do some stupid Benny and June thing with rolls and forks. <laughs> we closed the evening with a promise to see one another again soon. Except for the strange puppet things, Sean was pretty cool. The morning after the date, Joan and I walked to Yaba Java. Yaba was the... You can walk there and it'll do if you can't drive to Starbucks coffee place that we saw way too much of during busy season. They also served heroes. When we were waiting for coffee, Joan pulled a CD out of her purse. Listen to this, she said. It was the latest Coldplay album. I've been listening to this on repeat and having a completely pathetic pity party. We need to go have drinks or dinner or something tonight before I have another lonely evening of Coldplay and cinnamon rolls. We all had our go-tos. Joan used Coldplay and Cinnamon Rolls. I used the Golden Girls reruns and tortilla chips, whatever. That night, we met at a vegetarian Vietnamese restaurant in Little Saigon. I'm really using the term restaurant loosely. The place was nameless and was basically just a small counter in the back of an inside Vietnamese outlet mall sort of thing. The menu was completely in Vietnamese and they were a cash-only business. Quite frankly, I don't even know that there was a kitchen in the back anywhere, but I didn't ask any questions because the food was good and the prices were low. The menu was useless to me, so I just told Joan what I wanted and she ordered for us in Vietnamese. 
As we waited for our food, Joan asked me what was new. <sighs> Here it goes. Well, I've met someone, I said. Are you serious? Tell me about her. Oh, her? Uh, no turning back now, right? Well, I said, he's a professional puppeteer. Wait, what? She asked. I know, a puppeteer. A few of these episodes have some kind of cringe-worthy moments in them. Um, I feel a little bit like I'm publishing my first drafts of some of these stories. If I had the chance to do them over, maybe I would write things a little bit more differently or... I don't know, I just feel like a few of the things are kind of embarrassing. So, um, I don't know, if you're embarrassed for me, just keep it to yourself because I'm probably embarrassed for myself as well, so... (laughs) Um, the next story I want to share is called a Biopic, originally published in 2012, story number nine. Here we go. The story that I want to tell you this week is actually about a song, so I'm going to hit play on the song here. This is a song called La Femme d'Argent, which is French for Silver Woman, and it's by the French band Air. This song brings me back to a very specific spring evening in 2003. I was working for a newspaper at the time covering city politics. Walking home from a city council meeting one evening, Uh, where a council meeting by the way where absolutely nothing of importance happened yet I was required to turn in 500 words by midnight and in my head I was going back and forth about what unimportant story would receive the ink I could write about the renaming of the Civic Center a story that was only interesting because one of the council members voted no because he had some political beef with the dead guy that they were naming the building after. Or I could write about the lowering of a speed limit on a street that fed into a Costco, a story that was only interesting because one of the council members said, this isn't a driveway for Costco, which is the funniest and wittiest thing that was said that evening. So I was fucked, basically. As I walked down Taft Street, this song, La Femme d'Argent, came on my iPod. In an attempt not to think about the lame story that I was going to turn in that evening, I started concentrating on the music. What a 
perfect melody and tempo, I thought, for the opening credits of a movie. Perhaps even the song played over the opening credits of the movie they would make about my life. City Hall fades in. It's night, and the hall is flooded in light. The view dissolves to the exterior of a dilapidated apartment building seen in the evening. The letters on the building illuminated by a streetlight, the Brittany Apartments. This dissolves into the bedroom of Mike Lawson, where a lethargic young man behind a desk cracks his knuckles and sips on a glass of water with no ice in it. It may sound silly, but I was raised, for better or worse, to believe that I could truly become so great that I'd be biopic worthy. As the song progressed and my steps fell into sync, I realized, perhaps for the first time, that there was nothing extraordinary about me. Call it realistic or pessimistic, whatever. But in those six minutes that it took me to walk home from City Hall, I grew up. It's impossible to listen to this song and not think back to that night. To the time when I realized I wouldn't be the subject of a major motion picture. Parents, be careful not to tell your children too often that they can be anything their heart desires because that's bullshit and we all know that. I think it would have been much more beneficial for me if someone had laughed at my childhood dreams or had told me that they were too lofty. At least that way I'd have something to prove. Now I just have a bunch of people to disappoint. And just so you know, I ended up writing that night the story about the renaming of the Civic Center, since it was about a man that actually did something with his life. There you have it. Two stories. This is What's on Lies in reruns. I think that Joey's going to be publishing these every Tuesday, so you have something to look forward to. Two stories every Tuesday. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. I like to eat pizza.